Welcome to our May 2023 Empower Women podcast episode, Roadmap for Aging Well. This month, we were joined by Kate Granigan, CEO of Life Care Advocates. In this episode, Kate talked about what we can do to improve the experience for aging loved ones and how we can impact the outcome of our own aging journey. Enjoy. Um, thank you and welcome to Empower Women series. We are excited to have Kate Granigan back with us. She is amazing and I absolutely love to hear her talk. I learn something every time she speaks. Um, she has blessed us with her talks many times. So again, happy to have her back. She's a licensed independent clinical social worker and has worked in the field of aging for over 25 years. So um, she not only has, I think, a great technical side, but she just has that whole, what we like to call the head and the heart, the emotional side of things, and really can work with families and people to um, make sure that they're aging well. And today she's going to talk a little bit to us about a roadmap for aging well, which I think we all could use bits and pieces of it. So I will turn it over to her and let her introduce herself once again. But just remember today is meant to be casual, um, open, just feel free to ask questions. You can either type a question into the chat or you can unmute yourself and just kind of jump in. We want this to be free flowing and we want you to get the most you can out of it. It's meant to share resources or ideas with each other. So please feel free to do so. And with that, I'm going to pass it over to Kate. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. Thanks so much. And so nice to be here with everybody. Um, I've always enjoyed doing these series and today's topic is no different. Um, this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. Not only, you know, do I work in the field of aging, as you said, I'm the CEO of Life Care Advocates, which is a consulting practice in Newton, Massachusetts. And we, my team and I work uh, together to consult with folks to help them ideally age well. And we'll talk a little bit today um, over the course of this next hour. Um, but the the topic of aging well is one that, you know, I think is a lot of buzzwords around, you know, aging well, and we'll talk a little bit today about the differences and what that means and some myths in aging that, you know, may impact how we see ourselves as we age. And then, you know, what are some good practices or things to think about to, to age well? And I'm going to turn this to, uh, you'll see why um, as we go forward, but I'm going to use the term optimal aging. This is just, I like to start with this because it's one of my favorite stories if you may have heard this, but in 1997, the oldest person to have ever lived died at the age of 122 years. And I think it's like a kid that says, I'm, you know, I'm four and three months, you know, you count every day. So in 164 days, Jean Louise Colment lived in France, took up fencing at age 85, still rode a bicycle at 100. She was from family of long-lived persons. Her father died at 93, her mother at 86, and her brother at 97. She did quit smoking when she was 117, reportedly because she was nearly blind and felt embarrassed to ask for a light. 
1965, when she was 90, she had no living heirs because she had outlived both her daughter and grandson. She entered into a legal agreement to sell her condominium apartment to a lawyer who at the time was age 47. He probably thought he was so smart. He agreed to pay a monthly sum similar to a reverse mortgage nowadays, right? Until she died so that he would obtain the apartment. Unfortunately for him, she survived him and his widow had to continue payments in many ways. And we'll talk about optimal aging, but boy, does she really resemble that. Um, and I'll get into the definition of, we hear the differences between optimal aging, aging well, successful aging. So we'll talk a little bit about all of that. But that just to me is heartwarming. I think there's so many times when when the system or when things don't work out for people as they age. So that just makes my, my heart sing. So I wanted to start today talking a little bit about the myths of aging, right? Because um, when we talk about aging or ideal aging, it's first important to notice our thoughts on aging. So it's also important to recognize that these thoughts are not necessarily coming from what we believe, you know, or our own attitudes, but attitudes and opinions of aging that have, you know, sort of been consistent from years and years um, and have a societal influence. So, you know, as a society, if you look at the any ad today, if you scroll through Facebook, if you look at magazines, we really are a society of, of ageless or timelessness. We're trying to get rid of wrinkles, to, to stop the, the looks and the, the, you know, what should be marks of pride, um, smile lines and wrinkles and, you know, parts of having children and all those things that add up to years and years of our lives. You know, we, we try to erase those and we're told that those are not, um, not, not parts of what we should show in aging. So it's important to start with myths and what we think about aging before we start talking about what to do about that. I think it's, um, you know, that there's a concept and I was just at a, um, a great conference and the, one of the speakers talked a lot about the concept of ageism, you know, in our environment. And ageism is, ageism is defined as a process of systematic stereotyping of discrimination against people because of their because of their age just as racism or sexism you know accomplishes with skin color or gender so we really need to think about the fact that ageism exists and it is there and if you look at this first slide really thinking about um, a study you know it, that was done at Yale um, University found that our beliefs about aging and what is portrayed in movies and what is portrayed in ads for medications and you know all those things is that older people are useless or helpless or lost their value. And in some fact, that has a negative impact on our longevity. And we'll talk about this in a moment. But it's important to realize that the very first place to start in how we perceive aging is how we think about aging and replacing those stereotypes with positive perceptions about aging, wisdom, a time of self-realization, satisfaction, and vitality. And resulting in the, you know, the studies show that our attitude alone, how we think about aging, can actually result in nearly eight years of increased average lifespan. So think about that for a moment. Just how we think about and perceive our own aging and those around us can change how we experience it so much so that it can change our lifespan. So I think it's really important to start with what do we think and how do we how do we think and feel about ourselves as we age? So myth number one, 
And these are myths that I, you know, these are generally some of the high, you know, highly uh, seen myths. Obviously, there are more, but I'll just touch on a handful of them. So although, although do, genes do impact, um, have impact on our aging, it's a much higher percentage. And if you look here, shown by Dr. Roger Landry, who wrote the book, Live Long and Die Short, he says about 70% of our choices, our lifestyle choices impact how we age. So yes, genes are important, but doing things like eating right, getting plenty of sleep, not smoking, limiting alcohol consumption, getting regular exercise play a bigger role overall than our health um, and our health than our genetics. Now, I don't know if any of you read the Boston Globe, but I will say this Monday, the Boston Globe did a highlight on the um, on centennials, which is a fascinating group of people. And that although the likelihood around for centennials, they say by the time you do reach 100, okay, you probably are talking about genes, <laughs> but that's talking about 100 years or older. So it's important. They, they call these folks super agers. And, um, and, you know, but, but generally speaking in our average individuals, we're talking about um, lifestyle really can have a significant impact on how we age. All right. Myth number two, to be old is to be weak and frail. Not so, right? Um, you know, a body in motion tends to stay in motion. And if you think about it, you know, it's the same concept of, move, you know, use it or lose it. And I think it's important here, CDC lists a number of ways to stay active as you get older. What I would tell you is they've come to the conclusion that yes, while um, a considerable amount of, um, you know, higher cardio exercise is very good for us and our brain, any kind of motion is useful slow walks, chair yoga, doing things that you, you know, stretching, gardening, all of that improves our physical health and staying mobile improves our bone density, our flexibility, um, improves balance. And all of those things can eat, lead to aging more optimally. Um, and we know, and we've proven that exercise can also reduce blood pressure, symptoms of anxiety and depression. So think about how you can incorporate if you're not already. And I always say to people, it, you don't just because when you were younger, you played a sport in a certain way or you did activities in a certain way, just because you can't do it in that way any longer does not mean you can't adapt. And so finding ways to adapt as early as possible instead of losing that routine is where I think you can have huge impact. Right? Obviously, there's a... Disclaimer here, check with your physician. I'm not a physician. I'm not giving medical or physical advice, but I, you know, we do know the studies are very clear about how important physical activity is. The next miss number th three, senility is inevitable. And that's also not true. It's normal to have moments of forgetfulness. We all lose our keys, forget where we parked or forget someone's name. Um, the loss of, of our in decline in cognition is not necessarily normal aging either is, you know, and, and one of the things I hear from clients, uh, you know, and getting better, and we really help people advocate for um, being their best advocate and speaking up because when something doesn't feel right, you know yourself best. So having a doctor or, you know, a, a medical professional tell you, oh, what do you expect? You're 80 years old. What do you expect? You're getting older. Oh, that's all part of aging. And, and I would, I encourage you to rethink that 
that we really do know now that that things like pain and you know um, loss of memory and falls they're, they're not normal part of aging they do occur in aging and we're going to talk about ways to avoid them or minimize but it's not normal so don't let people sort of write you off with with uh out looking for reasons and trying to address okay so and here we see um you know that yes we do have um a prevalence of of dementia and alzheimer's disease but here according to the alzheimer's association we're really talking about three percent of adults age 65 to 74 that have those diagnoses. It's important to know that we, you know, we can impact. There are some, um, there are some medical reasons for cognitive decline and including things like lack of sleep, sleep apnea, um, depression. So it's important to, to address these things. And if you're experiencing those things to get some help and get some, get, get someone to take a closer look. Myth four, and the next few are all kind of lumped in, but as you, ate, um, as you age, your ability to learn stops. Well, we know this isn't true. People are, you, otherwise people wouldn't be, you know, the average age on Facebook wouldn't be what it is. People wouldn't be learning how to use technology. Um, people are still, you know, doing programs of lifelong learning. So we know that's not true. And so further, and furthermore, um, your capacity to learn remains. It may be, you may process differently, we do know that as we age, our process time, how we process can change, but in no way does it mean you can't learn um, that, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's not true. And it's been proven, um, that's been proven not to be a fact. So we need to remember that we can. Um, and though, you know, cha challenging our brain um, creates new connectivity. And we do know that we are, you know, our brain has neuroplasticity and we can make new connections and we can continue to do that. Um, and we'll talk about some ways to do that, you know, a little more. But, you know, connection, relationships, spending time together, all are great ways for uh, increasing um, our ability to continue learning. Um, and again, lifelong learning. And there's fabulous programs out there, by the way. Local Council on Aging nowadays has become the best places for, you know, learning, education, opportunity, our libraries, um, you know, there's so many opportunities and many of the even community locations like um, independent and assisted living, continuing care, retirement communities also offer and neighborhood groups. I just did a talk and, and I know they're very interested in education for Cambridge neighbors. Um, there's uh, uh, Beacon Hill Village, all of those um, places have a plethora of learning and engagement opportunities. Myth number five, I'll end up isolated and alone. Also, needless to say, not true. It, you know, connections and um, relationships change during life, but it's possible to make friends at any age. And we know this. Um, one of the things that people talk about a lot that I'm a, I'm a big supporter of is multi-generational connections. This is an ideal opportunity, one, because sometimes it opens an opportunity for mentoring. A lot of people, you know, as they age, have incredible wisdom that they can bring to younger um, people, you know, in business, in uh, community, in learning, in their faith communities. So learning and, and giving back to multi-generational connections not only gives that connection, and it makes a you know a, a younger you know connection through generations, but it also gives us feelings of purpose and all of the things that we also know are important and we'll talk about. 
Um, so that is also a myth. Again, older people like being alone. People show pictures of isolated and alone. We are social creatures and we do our best when we're together and when we're in community and in meaningful relationships, even though they may change. Um, we learned a lot through COVID, sadly. We learned about isolation and the impact on those that were isolated. Um, you know, and isolation, depression, all of those things can be, um, can be very detrimental to our health. So we know that people are social and we can create different ways through a lot of different forms. And we'll again, touch on that um, to stay connected and aging has nothing to do with that. Um, so, and often what, what I've heard from people is as they age and as they you know retire from their jobs and have more time for leisure, they actually are able to deepen their social connections. And, and spend more time on things that they might not have been able to in earlier years. Okay, and myth seven and the final myth, withdrawing from uh, the outside world as part of aging. Well, what I'll say is what, while we know that certain stages in life, including later in life, there is more of a, um, you know, or interflective, you know, we're doing more reflecting on and maybe have some introspective um, it is not withdraw. And it's important to know that there's a difference being uh, comfortable being alone and being uh, happy to have quiet, quiet time and being withdrawn. Um, withdrawn, it, you know, again, as I said, depression and those things are not normal parts of aging. So it's important to remember that um, being a part of the outside world and finding those connections is not all is not only important, but it is what helps us um, age optimally. And here, I'm more than I love this statistic, right? Because 67% um, of seniors are using the internet, and we know this, um, you know, and that's not being with, you know, that's one way to stay connected. And then more than 100,000 individuals over the age of 50 participate in Road Scholar um, learning. And there's all kinds of amazing, like I said, lifelong learning programs out there. And so, absolutely um, a myth that we can put aside. So before I go on, sort of that's a good breaking spot. I want to just see if anybody has any comments or questions so that, you know, and the myths are more. And I'm sure I don't know if anybody has one I forgot that they'd like to add to the mix. Um, but, it, you know, I think it's important to first think about what it is that's being put in front of us and and sort of what are some of the facts versus, you know, the fiction in these circumstances. Right. And then what can you actually do about some of the myths? Like we get stuck sometimes. Sure do. You sure do. All right. So we'll get into that without further ado. Um, these numbers are not new to all of us, I don't think. Um, we were, you know, 10,000 baby boomers a day are turning 65. Our life expectancy is significantly grown, obviously. Let, you know, in the 1900s, life expectancy was 47. Um, so you can see here that that's quite different. Um, medical advances and other changes in our environments have increased our life expectancy dramatically. Um, and we can expect if, with these numbers really to live 20 to 30 years beyond retirement age. So, you know, I think the average baby boomer will live to be 83. Um, uh, today, a 65-year-old man has one in four chances to live to 92. And a 65-year-old woman has one in four chances to live to 94. And married couples that are 65 have the 
at least one spouse that will live to 97. So obviously, it's important to think about then how do we want those years to look? There was a book and it's, I don't think I put it in the, it's it's quite, it's an older book. It's um, was written by um, Dr. Rowe and Calm and it was a book called Successful Aging. I don't know if any of you had ever seen it. It, it's a, it was based on the MacArthur Foundation study of aging, which, you know, quite frankly, until then, um, and this was when I, earlier in the years when I had just started my career in aging, and I was of the belief that, you know, we we did a fair amount of focusing, even in the work that I did on, you know, frail, frailty and illness. And, you know, and I thought that is not necessarily what I'm seeing or what I want to focus on in my career. And this book was eye opening. And it was the first place I saw talking and, and sort of challenging these myths that we talked about. But one, the reality is what they considered successful aging was the absence of disease and disability, high cognitive and physical functioning, and active engagement with life, right? So that while that's all great, and this was a great place to start, there's really more of a new um, thought about aging. And I, I think you might agree that this is probably more realistic and one that I think is much more um, approachable. Because if you look at the last, where we talked about absence of disease and disability, well, you know, who, as we age, that may not be us. It also might, we may not be highly physically functioning or, so there may be some challenges there. So instead looking at this as the evolution of optimal aging, which I fully prefer, which is much more inclusive and it's not leaving success to only those with full physical and cognitive capacity. So if you look at this, the capacity of function across many domains, physical, functional, cognitive, emotional, social, and spiritual to one satisfaction and in spite of one's medical conditions. So what I like about this is not only is it talking about just a few aspects, physical or cognitive, it's really looking at a holistic way of looking at yourself, both functionally, emotionally, socially, and spiritually, which is really how we all exist, who we are. And so it also talks about a word that I love, which is in spite of. So despite, you know, if you have a medical condition, does that mean you can't optimally age? I would suggest no. And that's why I really like the ev evolution of the, the definition. So I really you know, much prefer looking at it as aging is an opportunity and thinking about optimal aging as a new understanding of the age of aging that allows people to flourish physically, socially, emotionally from birth to death in compassionate intergenerational communities. And so this view of aging really transforms the way we understand and approach aging um, from one of fragmentation and unnecessary suffering, which, you know, again, we can talk a little bit about, but to, to, to what I prefer to focus on, which is that of interconnectedness and access to information and resources to, and the other thing I think what's important is to note that it's talking about what my view of optimal aging is. So it's not what someone else, my neighbor or, you know, my sister felt was optimal, but what is meaningful to me. And so I'd like to go through now just to talk about in the, you know, I, I think of five key areas of focus, but what are ways and what are the things we need to think about as we look at aging optimally? 
So here, health and nutrition, mindset, self-care and safety, physical activity and social engagement. So the first, diet and nutrition. So we hear a fair amount about diet and nutrition. I don't know about all of you, but you know, one one year it's good to eat, you know, foods that have, you know, the word diet or low cal or low fat. And the next minute they're telling you eat butter and avocado and healthy fats. And so diet and nutrition, I think in itself can be, you know, somewhat misleading or confusing. I think we also have a, a significant, um, there's a significant amount of um, an industry in supplements and, you know, all kinds of things. So I would say we need to know what fits for us but there are some rules of thumb around eating healthy. Most of us can think of, you know, eating things with, with, with lower calories, um, you know, whole foods. I think one of the things we have learned and what we do know is significantly that the, you know, look, eating the rainbow and eating whole foods. Um, my husband and I talk about it, the difference in the grocery store of shopping on the outside of the grocery store or on the inside aisles of the grocery store. So if you think about it, where you find the foods that are most recommended and we should be getting the most of, it's on the outside aisles. It's produce, it's proteins and meats, it's, you know, eggs and, you know, grains. Inside is typically where you find things that have lots of lists of ingredients, processed foods, all those things that anything that comes in a box, you know, pantry foods. Um, you know, and what we've learned is that we need to avoid those. It doesn't mean we, you know, everything in moderation. But what we do know for our brain and for our health is that the, um, you know, they consider it the Mediterranean diet um, and some of those other, you know, areas really have been proven time and time again, they do sort of hold the test of time. And clearly looking at what your nutritional needs are, you know, if you have medical conditions like diabetes, like heart disease, there are obviously diets that are recommended specifically for those things. But, you know, typically if you cross section, all of those kinds of diets that have, um, you know, with health issues, they follow that same path, typically, with some moderation, you know, and avoiding empty calories, staying hydrated, and then also obviously being physically active, because it also helps us as people age, they often and you know, one of the other realities that we see is sometimes if you have, you're living alone, you've lost a spouse, um, people are sometimes less interested in cooking for one. Um, they may not keep up with their nutrition and with the things that are going to be best for them. And so getting creative with that is one way to work on your diet and nutrition. Um, and, and there's also all kinds of great um, resources now that you can do meal preparation and things to make it easy so that you know you can get the best nutrition possible. Okay, this one, I could spend all day on this topic because it really, um, I happen to have a certificate in applied positive psychology. And I, so I, you know, this is a soapbox for me. Um, we, you know, and I like to say with mindset, we can't always change what's happening to us, but we can change how we respond or react to it. And that really is all built around mindset, right? And I like to say to people, what if, um, you had a relatively simple way to extend the length of your life. Would you be interested? Research has shown that people with positive perceptions of aging and general outlook on life live 7.5 years longer than those who don't. People with a positive perception on aging uh, also experience much higher rates of recovery from illness and injury. 
And this is shown throughout, this isn't just aging, this is shown through research in diagnoses with cancer. Um, you know, all there are many, many um, areas in which this is mindset and, um, you know, is shown to improve um, recovery times, all of those things. Um, they happen to typically have a better brain performance and improved memory. They have a greater sense of self-control over their lives, are more likely to talk to their doctor about health and prevent and get preventative measures because they're, you know, they're thinking about, you know, they're not worrying about what the worst case scenario is. They're looking at what's in their control and they tend to see a doctor quicker um, and make uh, changes in their habits because they feel in control. Uh, maintaining a positive perception of aging challenges um, is challenging for some people due to the prevalence of ageism, as we talked about, um, and the common, you know, unfortunately, stereotypes. But if we have, uh, if we can project and change that mindset for ourselves, often it's sort of contagious. So those around us often can help adopt that as well. So it is important to look at your mindset um, and also just mindfulness, you know, our, our, the need for self-care and safety. And I put those together because I think safety is something that we need to consider, you know, at, throughout our life. Um, you know, things like being careful, um, you know, making sure that we're not uh, walking, you know, out our door and not um, and not being cognizant of, you know, potential ice that could build up, not climbing on us, you know, a ladder when that's not safe or somebody's not there, um, you know, taking care to you know, a lot of times what we call mitigate risk. And in your home, I would suggest that you might all have one thing you can do. We can't avoid risk. There's no way to put, you know, unless short of being wrapped in bubble wrap um, and not ever doing anything, which is counter to all the other things I just talked about, choosing to mitigate risk and making changes in your environment can really keep us safe. Um, what we know is, is doing small, taking small, making small changes and doing small things can absolutely have impact on how we age and it can have an impact on how we can remain well and take care of ourselves. And we often talk about, um, you know, decreasing and self-care can include things like, um, you know, physical activity. It also can include things like mindfulness and meditation. Um, and I would say here, self-care for those of us who are in a role of taking care of others, we may be caregiving for a family member or loved one. Self-care is also about making sure we do take time for ourselves, that we're asking for help. Statistically, what we know is that when someone is um, on the journey of caregiving, they often put their own health and self-care um, self and well-being aside, and they end up statistically sometimes having more health problems themselves down the road. They tend to put aside their own um, you know, uh, maintenance and, and uh, wellness care until it turns into something that's more uh, difficult to manage. So those are two things to really think about. On the mindset thing, I think for people, it's probably hard because just, you know, as we age, we get so set in our, you know, mm. set in our ways, set in our mindset, you know, we don't like to change and do things differently. So I guess on the yeah. mindset thing, like, how do you suggest people even make small little adjustments? Sure. Well, I think that's a great question or a great, and I would say when people talk about, there's a great book out there, um, I read it years ago, but it still holds true. It's called 10% Happier. And it and it and it's about the reality that, you know, we're not talking about, you know, going from, 
you know, I worry about everything to Pollyanna, you know, glass is always half full kind of thing. It's talking about making small shifts. So there are ways that we can make uh, daily changes, even if, you know, it's just waking up. I mean, you've probably heard this, but the concept of waking up in the morning and thinking before you get out of bed of three things that you're grateful for. Now that sounds silly, but it's a change in your mindset because if the first thing you do before you put your feet on the ground, and I've told people some days it might be big, like I can't wait to see my grandchildren and I'm you know, going on vacation to today, my feet are hitting the floor. That might be what you're grateful for. So the small things matter. And studies show that if you do that for 30 days, that you begin during the day. The other thing, there's another side when you go to bed at night, thinking of three things, the positive things that happened in your day. And what happens for people is, um, you know, and it's sort of like what you pay attention to, you see more of. So if in your day, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to have to write down three things that you're grateful for, or that you're happy happened that day, your day begins to look for opportunities. So during the day, you might have a chance, and you know, a chance meeting in a grocery store with an old friend and you're saying, oh, that's a, I'm going to use that tonight. That I'm grateful for that. You would be amazed at how much you can shift your focus from, I can't believe I'm in this grocery line that's taking forever to, I'm so glad I had a few extra minutes in the grocery line because I had a chance to catch up with an old friend. The grocery line probably didn't shorten by the way you thought about that, but the way that you perceived it, what you could control, not the grocery line, you're not in control of that. What you can control is how you think about it. And what we know is that can change, um, you know, our stress hormones that can change, you know, you can feel your body change and your outlook change. So it truly is, that's a mindset shift. So that's just a small example of looking towards things. You know, I tell people a lot about, you know, the concept of worry. Worry is a fantasy. It's made up because we're usually thinking about something in the future, right? And so if we have, you know, I have a, I have a medical issue. I went to the doctors and now I have to wait for a test. I've shifted my mindset from, I have to wait two weeks for a test. I'm sure it's going to be the worst. I'm, you know, you have the worst case scenario. The reality is you can't control what the test is. You've got it. Now you have to wait. What you can control is what you decide to think about while you're waiting. And those shifts, it doesn't mean it automatically happens, but when you catch yourself, you can ask yourself to, you know, well, what's the best case scenario? And it literally begins to change your pathways, your neuro pathways. So the, again, do we ruminate? Do we worry? Do we, you know, feel frustrated? All those things are not absent, but if we can change some of our mindsets and the way we shift our thinking, it has significant impact on our health and well-being. And that's literally where that slide and that, that mindset and those numbers of years adds years to your life. So it really is about outlook. Is that helpful? That makes sense? Okay, great. Yeah, yes. All right. So we've talked a lot already about physical activity, so I'm not going to go on too much here, but it is important to know that exercise and physical activity as we age is more important than ever. Um, maintaining your core strength, your balance, all of those things. And there are uh, very appropriate ways to do exercise. There are um, specialists. 
you can find a trainer, you can go to a senior center. You want to make sure you're working with someone that knows an aging body and that you're doing this, um, you know, in a way that fits your current ability, get your physicians okay. But we know that we can reduce falls, exercise, um, you know, our, our stress hormone cortisol re reduces and we get the boost of adrenaline and all the positives. Um, they say that exercise can, you know, is as effective in some cases that as medication for depression. So we get the, you know, we're getting all of the boosts we get um, when we exercise. And that can be as simple as a walk around the block. Um, and it doesn't all have to happen at once. So daily walking to your car instead of, you know, parking close, parking a little further away, taking stairs, doing what's appropriate, but staying physically active is really important. Um, and we're learning more and more about that and, the, and younger and younger. Um, need to keep our strength. We do lose muscle mass. So being strong and staying active is, is critically important to all aspects of aging. Um, so that I will just leave it at that. And I often help myself and others remember that, you know, when we age, we can choose to do prehab or rehab. So prehab really is what it's all about, right? It's, it's preventative. It's proactive. What can we do to prevent the need to go to rehab for falls, for a broken hip, for weak bones. These things are all proven to a physical activity and finding appropriate physical activity can help us live optimally. And I want to emphasize the reason why we switch to optimal rather than successful aging is you, despite having some, you know, arthritis or, you know, poor knees, or you can do activities that fit your needs and benefit you. Okay. Social engagement. Oh my goodness. So again, why is this important? Well, we know that we are social beings, as I said, and belonging to social, belonging is part of who we are. Um, identity and fulfillment is part of how we, you know, in our social circles and when we engage, we know this. Um, during COVID, as I said, we learned significantly about two things that were most impacted. And we learned, you know, yes, we kept people healthy and we, we, Many older adults who were at risk survived um, COVID, but at the detriment of two factors, isolation and poor nutrition. And it, and it turns out that those were two areas above everything else that caused concern. We saw a decrease without social isolation and a decrease in social isolation. We saw people with a mild cognitive impairment or just slight cognitive um, challenges significantly decline. Um, we also saw people because they weren't being, you know, eating is social. And so because they weren't able to go out, they weren't their their nutrition and their hydration dropped significantly. So we know how important it is. It also it, it creates a sense of purpose, um, you know, finding things that we um, that we can bring back and we can give social engagement often offers us a place, you know, to be um, connected, um, to offer you know, oftentimes it helps us take away from what we're focusing on ourselves because we can help our neighbor. We can, you know, be a part of something larger than just ourselves. So it can help with re refocusing our attention. This multi-generational options, as I, mo I noticed, I mean, I mentioned earlier, the first two are, new, are relatively new and I've heard people using them. Nesterly is a free, it was launched by two MIT grads. Um, in 2017 and still going. 
It offers um, sort of an arrangement or partnering of somebody who's living in their home as they age, but they may have challenges. They may need assistance with managing the space or sharing you know, chores or even just sharing uh, rent. And they may have a younger person. A lot of times this came from the college, sort of in the areas of the college environments where you had a grad student who needed a place to stay and an older person who had you know, space but needed some assistance. So they're um, both Nesterly and Silver Nest are basically memberships where you can go in. It's sort of like a dating matching and they match you and they help you hire. They, they can help you set this up, but they're fascinating ways to think about, you know, creative ways to think about maximizing engagement, um, staying in your home and staying safe, not doing things beyond what you should, you know, minimal changes so that you can stay well and stay safe. So I think they're very interesting. The Treehouse Foundation, I think it's interesting because it was also, um, it formed in 1994 and it initially happened out in Illinois, but it was meant to bring um, older adults into a multi-generational community. And it was done with foster families where people didn't innately have built-in families and grandparents and the multi-generational experience. And older adults were given housing for hours each week that they did things like helped with homework, babysat, went and read at the library. So it offered a community opportunity um, that's like none I've seen. Um, and now there are different places. There's one out in um, one out in Western Mass. So just something interesting to think about. And I guess what I'm trying to share there is just there are creative and intriguing ways out there to to look at you know aging differently and looking at what we bring to the table as we age in a way that really is fulfilling both for us and for others. And I think that's um, super important. It's technology. Here are just a few. Um, there are everything from smart homes that can monitor and safety. Um, they might have, you know, cameras and ways to, there's called, uh, there's another one called GrandPad. You can rent this. It's sort of a monthly subscription on what it looks like an iPad. And you can set it up to do video calls with family, um, do reminders, you know, there's all kinds of resources like that. We all know about Google Nest, you can have safety and cameras and communication. Um, there are, you know, there's Alexa that people are using. This Mind You is another passive monitoring. Paxana is a wearable monitor um, that we are using with some of our clients. And Aging 2.0 is just an interesting place if you want to know about emerging tech. Um, and, and it's endless. I can tell you being in the field, it is inundating and endless and it's not all perfect, but it's worth um, staying on top of that if you want to you know, get creative of ways to stay connected and optimize. I did also uh, recently speak to a woman who's um, doing some fascinating work with, believe it or not, um, with virtual reality. And it's a, you know, the wearable, um, I can't remember the name of the company right now, but it's also, you basically, you can connect to another person, your daughter who lives out of state. If you both have these devices, you can connect and see each other, sort of like a, they call it an avatar version, but you can also load it to go to take a trip around your old neighborhood. And it's fascinating. So when I tell you the tech that's coming, and the ability to stay engaged. And they're using it for, um, they're using this for activities as well, for physical therapy and movement. So there's so many ways to approach so many of these needs that it's sort of mind blowing 
And I think it all starts with just thinking about how do I look at it differently? You know, what's out there for me and what's best for me to do what I know that I want to age optimally. So lastly, just as a wrap up, I would say be your best advocate um, and think about what it is that you want, what's important to you, and then making sure you communicate that. I use the term never too early or often. It's so important to be speaking to your professional advisors, your family, and I. And it goes to my next point, build your team. You know, who's in your life that's important to you now and knows you well, so they can help you on the path of aging well and optimal aging, um, despite changes that may occur. So um, that's really important. Knowledge is power. Understanding and knowing the resources, knowing yourself and what you want, but also how will you meet those needs and making a plan early is really important. And then using our using your connections, your team, and those that care about you to adjust those. I think I've said enough about making healthy choices, but you can make choices now. You may not have been doing some of these things, but you can make that change today. And I would say, if, if I would leave you with anything, it's what's one thing? So it, it doesn't have to be everything. And we all know if we're trying to make changes in our habits, there's a great book by James Clear called Atomic Habits. And it talks about making minute changes. And some of it's just in how we think. And that begins the sort of the wave of change. And then also find purpose. And that might be, that can be anywhere. Um, and it's what's meaningful and purposeful for you. Here are the resources I mentioned. This article is one I did on, men, in our, on our website on self-care. Um, Honoring Choices is a fantastic website that talks about just making your choices known. We're, we're partners there. This is the growing boulder that I told you about that you cannot go wrong subscribing to their newsletter or getting them in your inbox every day. And then Elderhood, this is a great, um, Louise Aronson's of the physician I mentioned that I was speaking with or that spoke to us on, on sort of looking at aging um, and, and reimagining life as we age. There you are. And lastly, you're never too old and it's never too late. So start optimally aging today. <laughs> and that's it. Thank you. That, that was amazing, Kate. Um, can you just quickly let people know like how they might reach out to you or, you know, it, I, I'm assuming these are things that you can help families with individually. Sure, sure thing. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I can be reached. Um, our company is called Life Care Advocates. We are in Newton at 180 Wells Ave. Our phone number is 617-928-0200. Okay. And myself and my team, I'm a clinical social worker by training as I've been in the field of aging for 25 years, 25 plus. I keep forgetting to add the extra years, but, um, and our team are, are, you know, personal consultants to families and individuals from anything to this kind of planning all the way through to, you know, we work with our clients, you know, through crises and that find themselves in challenges. But our goal is not only to work with them in those circumstances, but help them get back to a place of stability and then begin to look further at what does it mean to be aging well and optimally aging for you with your circumstances. And we cover all of Massachusetts. We do virtual, but we also, our team, really, we go almost everywhere. And we, we work with, if you you know, some people are looking to relocate. Other people are, you know, we have connections across the country as well. I'm on the board of directors for the Aging Life Care Association, which is a national association as well. 
So we have resources across the country. We would be happy to be a resource. And if you are interested, you know, just learning how we work, feel free to reach out or take a look at our website. There is a place that says contact us. And if you type your name and, and a note in there, I, my whole team sees that, including me. And you can mention that we, we met here and I'd be happy to talk with you. That, that's great. Thank you so much. Does anyone have any questions or a specific topic or question that they want to ask? So you can help people, like if I want a CCRC and uh, um, instead of give me a book, or I can look, you can pick and uh, uh, guide me. Is yes. that? Yeah. So you have any recommendation for CCRC around here? Well, we do. So what I would tell you is we know my team and I, there's, you know, 18 of us all together that we, and we have over 350 clients at any time. And they're working with us on all kinds of things. So what we do is meet with our clients personally to get to know who they are, what are their interests, what are their needs. We, we talk about all those, what are their goals, what are their finances so that we can make appropriate recommendations. And then we can help you guide you to the right fit. So we can help you talk about what, what a CCRC entails, what is a independent assisted living, what does it look like to remain at home? And we can talk about anything that's related to all of those wants and needs. So thank you, everyone. Um, if you have any other questions, please reach out. Thank you, Kate. You're welcome. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To listen to past podcast episodes and to see our calendar of upcoming events, visit our website, empower-women.com. We also invite you to join us on June 13th for our next Empower Women event, Keeping Our Kids Safe in Our Digital World. Hightower Advisors LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material is not intended or written to provide and should not be relied upon or used as a substitute for tax or legal advice. Information contained herein does not consider an individual's or entity-specific circumstances or applicable governing law, which may vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and be subject to change. Clients are urged to consult with their tax or legal advisor for related questions.